Over the summer, I read a book that my wife had brought to my attention in one of our favorite independent bookstores here on the island. As she held it up from across the store, I was immediately hooked. There was something about the combined impact of the simplicity of the graphic design, a bold red heart evocative of the iconic Canadian maple leaf over top of the book's title, The Compassionate Imagination, with the provocative byline, how the arts are central to a functioning democracy and the author, Max Weinman. Max, who worked as an arts critic and columnist for the Vancouver Sun and CBC Radio for over 30 years. Max Wyman, the author of seven books on the arts in Canada, who has served on the board of the Canada Council for the Arts and as president of the Canadian Commission for UNESCO, an officer of the Order of Canada, and who holds not one, but three Queen's 25th, 50th, and 60th Jubilee medals. And the Max Wyman who had inspired me greatly when our paths had briefly crossed years ago during a conference on imaginative education in Vancouver. I bought a copy of the book. Of the book itself, suffice it to say that mine looks as marked up, dog-eared, and margin-filled as any on my shelf. Max's invitation was to consider what might be possible, not if, but when. We as a country embrace culture and creative imagination at the core of what it means to be a member of a thriving, growing, curious, healthy, and functioning society. In the words of others, a timely book that expertly shows how the arts contribute to human flourishing in all its manifestations. Anne Bamford, the Strategic Director of Education, Culture, and Skills for the City of London, UK. From its announcement, as a book being named finalist for the 2023 Balsilli Prize in Public Policy, the jury has called the book, quote, a profound and beautifully written examination in which Wyman offers deep insights into how and why arts and culture funding is vital to safeguarding Canada's present and future. And finally, from Angela Elster, President and CEO of Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, she says, at a time when our world is in crisis, this stellar book brings clear vision and strategy. The compassionate imagination presents a beacon of hope. Hope, an image that matched perfectly how I felt upon finishing the book myself. So it gives me great pleasure, and, I, and quite frankly, I'm thrilled to welcome you, Max, into this space of curiosity for a conversation framed by the beauty of the question, what if? What if, Greg? How kind of you to set it up in that way? That's a very generous introduction. I, I really appreciate it. I, I'm absolutely flabbergasted by the response this book has received. Uh, I'm quite astonished that people pick it up in this way, but it's intended for that. It, it is. As you said, as Angela said, a beacon of hope, I hope. It's, uh, it's my real belief that we can change the world through the arts. And when I say that sort of thing, people laugh, they chuckle, they say, sure, go chase another windmill. Um, but, you know, it's not chasing windmills anymore. I think we're on to something. And I think the time has come for this to happen. I see it around me. I see this burgeoning of a new interest in, in kindness, in sharing, in becoming more than the individual, more than the self-interested. I think there's a, a movement that can place this 
element of communication that the art so embodies right at the heart of how we live. And that's what I'm aiming for. Let me just start by framing that as, I mean, this is a little book. It's an easy read. I don't say a little book in a diminutive way at all, but anyone can read this book and come away feeling richer, uh, uh, educated, and empowered. And, and, I, and I say that honestly. It rests on this offer of a bold and radical concept of what you call a new Canadian cultural contract. So I'm wondering if we can start there. And at the, at the risk of, of sounding like I'm looking for an elevator pitch, how, how do you describe it? Well, I, I'm calling it the, the little red book with a big heart. Um, and when I said that, when I told my wife that, my wife Susan, she said, "Ah, the Cultural Revolution done right." The little and you, you can, it's, a, it's a little thing you can tuck it in your pocket, you can carry it around, you can flip it when you feel like it. It's a, a handbook for a revolution. Uh, not, I mean, revolution implies violence. I, it's not a book about violence. It's a book about real change, harmonious change. Mm. Um, I don't want to see people hurt. I don't want to see people because I, I do want to see a revolution, but I want to see a peaceful revolution. And mm. the reason I call it the compassion imagination is because uh, from watching the arts and culture over 50 years, it's become very clear to me that through engagement with creative expression, doing it yourself or reading a book or going to a play or looking at a painting, we become different people. We have become more compassionate people. Uh, we see somebody else's point of view. We even ever so slightly look inside their minds, somebody else's mind, and realize they're not, they're not the enemy after all. There's somebody who's thinking about what I'm looking at. Um, perhaps they have a different feeling about it, but they're people. And we build a kind of empathy through that kind of connection with through creative activity. Um, it's more than ever necessary right now. I mean, we're in such a, such chaos. The world is, it's not going to hell in a handbasket, but it's, it's getting that way. And we've locked ourselves into a polarized position in so many ways. Uh, we've taken the, unfortunately, we've taken the lead from the US, which has become such a polarized, antagonistic, angry society um, and that's spread out that, that's infected the world it seems to me we're feeling that way too in Canada there's a lot of anger going around but it's not it's not necessary but we foster it by this polarization that we insist on in our in our social discussion hmm. my argument is that if we bring the arts and culture to the center of the way we live then we're more likely to find that common ground of compassion, empathy, kindness, where we can start talking to each other and finding the solutions to these problems. I don't for a moment say that art is the solution, but it's the way to find the solution, the way to bring us together. Yeah, and there's the, there's a lovely image that just came through to me as you were sharing that, uh, that, that, that you remind us, and it's a simple metaphor of harmony. Harmony in music is not every instrument playing or every voice singing the same note or creating the same sound, is it? Absolutely. It, harmony is, is, a, is a, a wonderful melding of different levels, different, different sounds. The same with the world. I mean, we, I, this book is not, not asking for some flat utopia. 
of mm. Kaleko. That doesn't utopias don't happen. They, they they're a great concept, but they don't work. We're human beings. We're fallible people. We're we're full of cussedness. And this book takes that into account. It just says, look, recognize that we are all individuals. We all think a different way, but there's nothing wrong with that. The fact that somebody, the fact that my neighbor doesn't like this or that, and I do, doesn't mean that he's a different or worse person. He's just somebody different. And the world is full of 8 million different people. Um, I'm not asking for, for unanimity. I'm simply asking for us to, to use a tool that exists. I, I, call, I call art and culture one of our rare earth minerals that we're not using in a way mm. that it can be so beneficial in so many ways to us as a society, to us as individuals as well, and yet we just ignore it. We treat it as a frill. Our governments treat it as a frill. And that's one of the big arguments in this book, that governments have to stop seeing it that way and recognize that it goes beyond the economic. Yeah. I admit my delight in how provocative the book was, how much it was urging us towards that action, as you say, the, the the peaceful revolution, but action, and 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 yet I was also, and and maybe maybe it isn't a yet, maybe it's an and. I I I absolutely was moved by how invitational it was, and the invitation in the nature of your writing. You're clearly sharing big ideas. You're bringing a lifetime of experience and, let us say, wisdom. And I, I sense, even as I look at you, that eagle eyes to the future. Um, you're not setting back on your laurels and saying, well, this is someone else's fight. But you invite your audience to participate. You even say it explicitly, as we've talked about before. So what exactly are you imagining and hoping for us to be participant in? I'm hoping that, um, in the broadest way, I'm hoping that Everyone in Canada, everyone in the world, this is just, isn't a book just for Canada, although it's, it's angled for Canada, but it's, it's not just for Canada. It's for anyone who wants to, to consider the possibility of bringing creative expression into your life. That's what I, I, I've, I've spent 50 years doing that. I've been paid for 50 years to go and look at the work of other people, the creative expression of other people. And it's been a joyous experience. I, I wouldn't be the person I am today. If I hadn't been doing that, um, I wouldn't be as open. I wouldn't be as, I don't think I'd be as generous. You talk about wisdom. I don't think there's any wisdom there. It's simply experience that I'm drawing on. Um, to see that the transformation that this has happened, had for me, is something that I think everyone should share. And I, I'm, so that's the invitational point of it, part of it. Um, right at the very start, yes, I, I talk about this being an the first chapter I call it an overture, and yes, it's a mm -hmm. musical, like a musical overture, where you get some of the themes set up to be explored later on. But also, the overture in the sense of come on in, you know, let's try something together, let's let's get involved together. And I try to write it that way. It's not a lecture. It's not a. I'm not preaching. I'm definitely not preaching. I don't. I'm not in any position to. But I'm trying to share that that astonishing, life-changing force that is there for everyone. And yes, it builds compassion, but it also builds you as an individual. It, it gives you a, it gives you connections with, with things that the society we've built don't give you connections with. We've built a society built on money, on, on profit, on greed. Um, there's so much more. And, and you know, there are so many more people searching for the numinous, the, the, the intuitive, the, the, the spiritual even. Um, you know, it's... it's it's dangerous these days to talk about the soul, but the soul is really what I'm talking about. 
the soul of Canada. And this is a very, you know, the proposal I'm making has a quite a lot of complex aspects to it. But essentially, I'm saying make the arts and culture as important a part of how we live together as health and education and all the other things that we prioritize. Make yeah. it one of those top priorities because it has such a benefit for all of those things too. I mean, it's complex. It's not just the arts and culture in a, in a little box. It affects everything. I'm arguing that every department in government should, as a point of principle when they're policy making, consider its effect in the cultural realm and consider the effect of the cultural realm on it. I mean, in health, the effect of the of, of arts communication, arts connection is immeasurable. Well, it's becoming measured more and more, which is wonderful. I think you know the book that I'm talking about, um, Your Brain on Art, which uh, is laying out very clearly through the uh, experiments of neuroscientists, how we can understand now what art does to our brains and how it affects our health. Wonderful stuff. We've yeah. never had that before. We've always had the anecdotal stuff, you know, you and I know that, you know, there's no piece of music, go to a play, we're affected, we're moved, we're changed in some way. This neuroscience is showing us how, and that's quite wonderful to have that evidence. Yeah. Health, education is the same. We're, we're, I don't know whether you want to talk about that later on, but certainly I'm, I'm arguing in this book that we need to bring the humanities and the arts back into the education system in a far more significant way than they're being treated right now. The, the numbers are horrifying. We're seeing humanities courses, uh, arts courses being jettisoned in this race to serve the STEM principle, you know, which the STEM curriculum is, it's important. And we, I don't, we don't need to get, we shouldn't get rid of it. We need to keep the STEM system because we've got to produce the coders and the electricians and the technicians and the people who understand the future of, of, of the internet. Of, of communication, we've got, we've got to train people for that, but they also have to have the benefit of the arts and they don't have that right now. Right. Um, humanities give us a sense of all those questions that are not answered by science. Why are we here? What are we doing? What's our responsibility to other people? Where do we, what, what's, what's truth all about? What's beauty all about? And science doesn't tell you that. And if you want to be, human, be a human being, you've got to know those things. You've got to have a way to approach those things. It's interesting. You're right. You're right. Science doesn't answer those things, but I suspect most scientists understand that the reason that they're in search of those answers is because of the questions that that they are creating from the place of their own humanity and our shared and common humanity. There's a reason it is called humanities, isn't it? With the with the tools, the personal tools to to deal with those questions. And arts and science, you know, we've. We, we live in a society of dichotomies, and it's so stupid because they're not different. They're not separate. They're both going in the same direction. Uh, they're yeah. linked in every possible way. Uh, they're, they're running in packs, as, uh, as uh, the guy from McGill said. A uh, 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 futurist from McGill came to the Canada Council board once and talked about it's a new renaissance. The, the artists and the scientists are, scientists are running in packs again, and they are, and it's wonderful. And you see those things happening. Somebody in Leeds just recently built a climbing frame for his kids at the local school to explore, to explore physics, to explore geometry, and to explore atomic theory through a climbing frame. Well, through I mean, their bodies. That, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> it, you know, that's art and science boom together. Yeah. 
as history has proven time and time again, as we go back and we revere those that we know the names of, because for whatever reason, we felt it was important to call them genius and separate them from everyone else's genius. But sure, the da Vinci's were as much scientists, weren't they? An inventor as they were uh, artists and great, you know, Renaissance painters. It was the same, it was the same human curiosity and just many, many, many paths. Yeah, we don't call people Renaissance men for nothing. You know? Right, right. In that spirit. So to take fair. STEM to STEAM, to STEM add STEM. that A for the arts and, yeah. and, and to embed that deeply within the, the culture and of education. Because all the evidence, I mean, there's lots of evidence that shows that kids in schools that have that built in, that in, embed the arts into teaching, um, every, every, every level of school, every, every subject, come out of the school with far better, uh, scoring far better on so many other levels. And on intelligence, on expressiveness, on openness, on curiosity, on on all the levels that you don't don't have a scorecard for, you know, you things you can't measure by numbers, but you can certainly measure by the way they, by the quality of the individual, the life that they that they live, and the life that they're contributing. And that what yeah. wonderful term that Ben Bamford used: human flourishing. Yeah, yeah. You also, and again, taking some reference to indigenous learning, uh, which we are so blessed to become finally able to more deeply appreciate. You even suggest that perhaps it's once again time for artists to take that space as healers yeah. in society. Absolutely. Because they are. Uh, and, and, and it's all linking. The, the, you know, the neuroscientists are showing us that artists are healers. If People get out of hospital faster if they engage with the arts. Um, people... Uh, Music, sound, sound can, can can change the way the heart works. Uh, it, it's astonishing what's happening. And yes, artists are healers. Uh, but to come back to your point about indigenous understanding, indigenous ways of knowing. Now, I'm no expert on indigenous matters, but I've got, uh, I'm quoting someone in, in the book, Victoria Wyatt, who has been studying this. And she makes the point that Indigenous ways of knowing are quite different from our linear approach to a topic, to a problem. Uh, they, they bring in everything that's pertinent uh, from, from the past, from potential future, from now. Everything happens at once. It's all, all is all. The, mm. What's surrounding us, what impacts us from nature, what impacts us from our ancestors. And the, the knowledge is different in that way. It's, it's, it's centralized. Um, a wholeness to it that we don't we don't approach things from that direction. So one of the recommendations in this book is that, as well as putting artists at the centre of policy making in our governments, we should also integrate indigenous ways of knowing in the same way with the same level of importance. Because they give governments are at a loss to deal with the problems we're facing right now. They just cannot handle it. Look at what they're doing with climate change. Look at what they're doing with anything. Um, because the reason for that is because we are in a situation where the problems are so complex that our nat national, our, our traditional ways of approaching a problem by approaching it in a linear, logical, rational way doesn't apply anymore. We, we need to approach it from com complexity. The vision that, the, the realization that no issue is locked in a box. We've, we've talked about getting out of silos for a long time, but the silos should never have been there. I was talking to a, 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 
scientist in Newcastle in England just the other day, Max French, who's a specialist in, in complexity theory, trying to apply complexity theory to government operations. And he makes the point that we have to find a totally different way. And my argument is that we need to bring the artists in there because artists know about complexity. They know about ambiguity. They know about uncertainty. The world is, you know, quantum theory is all about uncertainty. Artists understand that. Um, they see that you don't find a solution necessarily by the logical, rational means that we've conditioned. It was been bequeathed to us from the, from the, from the enlightenment, and it's been it served as well until now. Mm. But we've created a world, you know, eight billion of us with so many problems or so many challenges that we cannot deal with it with the, through the limited uh, focus of, of, of rationality, in my belief. So let the artists come in and, and play. Uh, it, it, it is play, you know. It, it's a matter of letting them, letting the imagination fly, letting, letting ingenuity happen, uh, letting what-ifs be considered, be thought about. There's a, a man in Vancouver, uh, David Diamond, who runs yes, I know. Theater for Living. Yeah. Uh, have you seen how they work? They, they go into communities and they take a, a problem that's facing the community and they say, okay, we're going to make a play about this. And they make the play, um, they stage it for the rest of the community. The rest of the community says, no, that's wrong. And they go in and they change character. They, 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 and so they play the question out until they come to some possible solution or a way forward. Often, there isn't even a production, a performance, but it's the creative act of doing it. It's that kind of um, inventiveness, that loosening of the imagination, that freedom to, to, to dare to imagine that is going to be, I think it's going to be the solution to our problems. And, and we yeah. have to dare to imagine and not think about, not, not hem it around with, well, we can't do that because, because those things can be pushed aside. We can, we can do it. We can actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. As I'm hearing you talk, I'm I'm drawn to that last that last small word on your byline of the of the of the title, democracy. No small word. We feel the imminent fragility of of the of the concept and I just I wonder if we could just talk about democracy for a moment as it relates. Um you know, I, I, again, I love that you've boldly committed to the idea of the compassion and uh, and, and imagination, culture, story, and and how that soul, soulful play and wonder, that are central to a functioning democracy, and 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 you place it on the book cover. But we're experiencing seismic threats to democracy around the globe, and as as I think you've referenced as well, right right here, increasingly and frighteningly close to home. There's a point in your book that you remind us of how important it is to pay attention, to remember to the power of wonder, or to 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 remember and hold on to that that we that we knew as as children, to recognize the the takeaway of the product of imagination from our our daily lives. If we take that away, we we are left. I think you say in a gray place, and that took me back to uh, Patrick Watson's struggle for democracy. 1989 CBC documentary and, and a book. And it may have been in a live presentation that he was making, or maybe it was in it was actually a part of the documentary. But I remember the story he told about, about visiting Czechoslovakia before the fall of the Iron Curtain, before the Republic, and how he stood in the in the central square of, of the city 
uh, full of rich cultural history and tradition and and acknowledged that that it had been completely hidden away that it was gray it was it, it was the grayness that totalitarianism demands because of the fear to hide the beauty and the humanity. So when we're talking about this moving forward, and I'm not a naysayer, but in a time when when it's clear that there are strong powers to be to try to dehumanize, yeah, um, authority, authority de you know, to limit, yeah, within our own immediate neighborhoods Absolutely. how do we how do we how do we energize this thrust forward how do we how do we respond to that and i that's not a simple question well the the, 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 the way this book comes to that comes at that is by making the point that if we do uh, embed culture in our lives arts and culture in our lives we do become more understanding, more forgiving, more kind individuals. And that inevitably is going to affect the quality of the debate in the public square. It's it's going to be a gradual process, that. But one of the elements of the book that I, I think is really important, and people are, are call, calling me out on for quite a, quite a lot, is that I'm suggesting that we give every Canadian, every Canadian a... Um, an allowance, an annual allowance of let's say a thousand dollars a year, um, to do, to spend on anything they like to do with culture. That's part of a, a response. My response to the fact that in this country, culture isn't demo democratic. Uh, we're we're bound by our we're we're hemmed around by our geography. A lot of people don't get access to culture. Can't get access to the things I'm talking about very easily in the big cities. Sure, outside. Not so sure. Um, so $1,000 each will allow you to, well, do all sorts of things. You know, you might want to get a subscription to your camera club. You might want to buy a loom and, and weave, a, weave, a, weave a blanket. You might want to do all kinds of things with it. Anything to do with the arts at all, you're going to spend it. It'll, it'll work through the tax system or through the benefit system somehow. Um, that is a way of giving people access. That democratizes access to the arts. The other aspect of that access thing is, is um, I'm proposing a new a new national streaming channel. Streaming mm -hmm. is so sophisticated these days. Um, free, Canadian. Every Canadian can get it. It's because broadband's nearly 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 national now. Um, every Canadian can get it free, and every Canadian arts maker will have access to it. So that every Canadian will have access to the product of what he's paying for. Uh, in supporting the arts, uh, he or she, uh, or they. Um, and that immediately democratizes the whole um, arts system. We look on it now as a frill, as a, a, a lot of people see it as a, an elite system. It's not, it belongs to everybody. And this book is trying to suggest that this is a way we can get it to everybody in a way that will, will, be, will democratize the access to it. So there's a, another twist on, on the democracy question. Coming back to the, your, more, your, big, your broader question of democratization, I think that if we do what this book is suggesting, which is put artists right in the center of the power-making system, right at the, at, the, at the point where decisions are made in every department, then you're inevitably going to get a, a, a more humane government. I think that Humanity is at the core of this because, yes, you're absolutely right. We're in a world of 
of of autocracy and 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 um, and hatred and and polarization. But if you have policies that are made on a humane basis that don't favor the the few that are really designed to serve everyone in ways that can be created through you know, the use of the imagination. We don't have to lock ourselves into profit and greed and 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 all of that. We can we can really make government at the service of everyone, which is what yeah. we charge it with, and it doesn't do. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we we have such disparities in our in our lives these days. The rich poor it shouldn't be there. Now, yes, I'm calling for a revolution. I'm, I'm not no barricades, please. But let's let's change things. Let's let's be let's be more humane. Let's 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 recognize that you know the guy down the street, he has his problems too. He's he's not angry at you, though you might think he is. He's you know he's probably worried about his dog or or you know where's the next week's groceries coming from. Yeah. People are people, and we have to recognize that. Not, look at this stuff that's going on in in the east, in the Middle East. It's just terrifying. Yeah. Russia, Ukraine, all these things are so it comes out of this polarization of of fear, fear. Yes, fear there the it other. is. Yeah. Fear. And this by ex, by making by expressing yourself through through making something and showing it to someone, you are laying yourself on the line. You are being vulnerable to someone else and they're doing the same for you and once you get vulnerability between people then you start to connect you start yeah. to communicate you start to realize that wow they're, they're quite nice and I, I don't mean you know i don't mean we're going to love all our neighbors of course we're not yeah um, but there's a there has to be a middle ground where we can talk and and recognize i hate the word tolerate because tolerate yeah. means Means I'm better than you, but I'll put up with you. You know, yeah. it's a terrible word. Um, it, it's far more have compassion with, empathize with, understand, yeah. love in the broader sense of love. Uh, I don't mean you know hugs and kisses and all of that, but but generosity is at the heart of it all. Decency and kindness. So that, that's what we were born with, and and we need to get it back into the center of how we react, how we work together, how we live together, how we interact. Yes. Give something up, maybe, mm. um, but you'll get something back. Uh, yeah. It's 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 a kind of compromise of kindness, isn't it? it, it it's it's, it's well and and compromise as well at the heart of democracy. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, you know, it strikes me that the that the the most powerful words that we use are the simplest words, the the single syllable words: love, uh, combating fear. Hatred, um, and when and 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 when I hear you speak again of you know love is what we were born with, uh, or into a world where one hopes that that was what the feeling was and that the bond was, and we also had a natural curiosity, and we did not live with a sense of fear, unless there was some kind of childhood trauma understood, acknowledged, but it's it's about returning to that essence which the artist brings full and circle we, back to us we and we haven't allowed that to happen i mean uh, i quote uh, the psychiatrist uh, Emma Gilchrist talking about how a lot of the world's problems today lie in the fact that we have unbalanced our brains we've allowed the area of our brain that controls logic and and outcomes and and 
and predictability. We've allowed that to take over, uh, and we've we've stopped uh, allowing this. Uh, we've made, made it less important the side of our brain that deals with imagination and ingenuity and and compassion. Uh, and we need to rebalance those. That, that, that's that's what again what this book is trying to do. We can rebalance that by giving a new emphasis to this creative expression, creative inquiry, creative exchange, and you know, love that will demolish fear. Now that's that's basic to most most religions, isn't it? Um, love getting Absolutely. rid of fear. Uh, and it, and it, I hadn't really seen it in that way until you just phrased it that way. Um, that's what that's all this book is about, really. Hmm. You've, you've just summed it up for me. Hey, podcast listeners, my name is Larise Campbell, and along with my co-host, former Olympic bobsledder, Alicia Olson, I am so excited to introduce you to the Mother Pucker podcast, and if you love the Oilers like we do, you are going to love our show. It's just two gals who aren't afraid to drop the gloves and throw some hot takes about the boys in blue and orange. Whether you're a massive hockey fan like us, or just looking for some new voices talking about the Oilers' blue line, or lack thereof, we promise the show is for you. So subscribe now and tell your friends. It's time for the Mother Pucker Podcast. So Max, there's another single syllable word, and I just want to hover on it for a minute, and it's the word play. Uh, and in, in another section, you actually title Letting the Soul Come Out to Play, and you cite the former executive director of the BC Alliance for Arts and Culture, Brenda Ledley, who said... Quote, everyone needs access to the arts, not as watchers, but participants. There's that word again. The experience of creativity is what connects us with our soul. It gives us meaning, purpose. You don't have to be a great artist. Write a diary. Play a guitar. And you yourself have spent your life expressing yourself through written word and through uh, through debate and argument. But you also share in the book that you have as your own personal preference, dance being for you the most moving and communicative of, of all art forms. And I'm, I'm really curious to know where and when you feel most creative and how you personally foster that creativity. Or how does your soul come out to play? Well, it comes out through writing. For me, it's always writing. Um that's all I've ever been able to do. I mean, I I want to come back to this question. That I'll come back to this in a minute, but I want to go back to what you were just saying because uh, this sense of of participation that Brenda mentions is absolutely vital to the argument I'm making. We have, you know, it, it ties in with the way we've built this stupid society. We've we we make important professionalism. Um, professionalism, professionalism in the arts is something we revere. Well, because we buy tickets, we pay our money. So if a professional performance is put on for us, it obviously has value. If we go to the village hall and see the local kids doing a little dance for us, we don't pay for that, you know, so it's not really valuable. Totally wrong. I mean, everything is, all kinds of expression are, are valuable. And there is this false dichotomy between professional and amateur and people are looked down on for being amateurs i'm an amateur i'm a i used to play the piano i would never wouldn't dare to play it in public but i love playing it um i've done some bits of acting i wouldn't dare call, call myself a professional but i love doing it mm. um 
and you, you know, uh, I danced even a couple of times in public, but I wouldn't call myself a dancer. Um, but there's no, there should be no, uh, there should be no lessening of value because something is called amateur. It used to be a, used to be a term of, of, of quite, um, of, of respect. An amateur mm. was somebody who took an interest in a, in a subject and, and, and devoted his life to it, devoted some of his life to it as a past. Yeah wasn't paid for it and yeah. we because you're not paid for it it doesn't it's not valuable in this stupid society um in fact it's more valuable quite often to the individual than going out to a play mm. if you let yourself draw go out and do a watercolor you don't have to show it to anybody but you've expressed yourself through it you may not think it's any good nobody else may think it's any good but it's it's been an expression of you everybody should should be free and and um, uninhibited about that freedom to to express yourself in any way you like. You know, yeah. write a diary. Uh, as Brenda lists those, um, there's a wonderful thing from Salinger, I think. Uh, uh, some school kids wrote to him saying, "How do we become a, become a writer?" And he said, "Write, just right. write." <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, and and again, that's the that's the child. How do I become a scientist? Just do science. Uh, you know, get a get a magnifying glass and follow an ant down the road. Uh, and, and that's and that, and that sense of play as well that it, I'm hearing in this this beautiful reminder that we are creative beings. Oh. Express it. Yes. Don't get caught up on performative. Don't get caught up on I. I'm not good enough. I. I. I as as you can say honestly. Well, I. I hope nobody's going to uh, assess my dance capacity against you know yeah. Judith Marcuse. But uh, how how sad it is. I think that we have built this box so tightly, yeah. and yeah. and and uh, I think your image is putting the professional on the pedestal. Yeah. Yeah, where it doesn't help them and it doesn't help us. Listen, it creates again, another distance. I, I, it's, it's it's crazy. We 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 and that that you see that contributes to this totally false sense of elitism about the arts. Mm. People think, oh, I I can't go to the ballet. I don't know anything about it. Well, you know, that's ridiculous. It's yours. Go look at it. Get what you like from it. You know, you may love the legs. I go to the dance for the legs. Uh, I think it's great. Um, I love looking at legs. But I was looking at other things as well. Um, go to the, you know, it's yours, and and don't let that sense of elitism, that false boxing in, uh, put you off. It belongs to everybody, which is what this book is trying to get people mm. to understand. That that if we if we put it in our lives, what we release by that action, by our play, is our own intuitive sense of wonder, our our sense of what if. And that what if is it's not going to, it's not going to take the world forward, you know? Uh, it's what's always taken the world forward. What if? And we've been stifling that so much in the area, particularly of of the creative arts. Let it free. The immense the the effect of what if expressed by artists on the health system, on 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 urban design, on anything you like to name. I think would be phenomenal. Look at how ugly buildings are. Mm. An artist free. Architects uh, uh, can sometimes come up with, with wonderful ideas. Let artists come in and say, well, what about this? It may not work. It may not work. It doesn't matter. It's, 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 it's play. It's play. And it, 
out of that play will come something quite often will come something something wonderful. Yeah, a and wonder does, and surprise still, and magic. You you still yeah. become you still expanded yourself. Yeah. So that individual engagement with with creativity for me is writing. I love writing. I I I get a thrill from from making a sentence that works and. And if it doesn't work, I know it doesn't work. And and so I'll I'll toss it or rework it. That kind of and you get a at the end of that you get a sense of achievement. And so you become a a, a bigger person, a, a more fulfilled person. Don't rock yourself off. Uh it may not always work. Uh, some of the stuff I've written is trick. Yeah. Uh, and I know it. There's a book out there that I should never have published. Uh, a novel. Uh don't look <laughs> 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 but it doesn't matter you know no. do it but you, you, yeah. you become, a, become a different person a better person yeah. um, I, I don't I don't you know I don't think that I, I do know that engagement with with art has changed me and made me who I am now I don't think it made me necessarily a better person than I might have been otherwise but it's maybe a, a, a different person a more open person a more I'm ready to accept other people's points of view I very rarely get upset by, mm. uh, unless it's um, Donald Trump, um, by other people's opinions, uh, other ways of expressing their opinions, because they are them. They, they, mm. they are, you know, I may think something is, is uh, untasteful or reprehensible, but it's them, you know, and ultimately, perhaps I'm wrong in not reacting more strongly, but I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think that comes with, with engaging with art, you know, you have to give artists the benefit of the doubt because half the time they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, and that's that's fine too because they spark you. I mean, there's all the whole idea of art for art's sake. Uh, I don't buy that. Um, it, once a piece of art is out in the world, it belongs to whoever interacts with it. And I, you know, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, um, the things that Wagner wrote belong to me when I look at them and I interpret them my way. Um, it's like an, like a discussion, you know, you put an argument out, put a question out, put a statement out, and I'll judge it, respond to it, um, mm -hmm. evaluate it or whatever, uh, and um, we go on. But artists, it's, it's part of everyone, and what, what the art I make is out there for everyone to see. And it, it lays me out. I mean, when I was a critic, I used to say that uh, you know, a critic is the most... It, or, Oscar Wilde said that uh, all criticism is autobiography. And it is. I, I used to say that, you know, the reviews I wrote were like standing at the corner of the intersection of Granville and Georgia in downtown Vancouver with pants down. And, you know, you're showing, you're showing people what you <laughs> And that's what all artists' expression is, you know, you're showing people what you got. Yeah. And letting it be, letting it go, right? Being vulnerable. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not bad to be vulnerable. Uh, it's dangerous, dangerous. But if we're all vulnerable, then we're yeah. so much more honest with each other. Yeah. And we'll get so much further than posturing and taking a position that can't be changed and, and, and all the things that befoul modern society. We can get rid of those. Well, and I, and, and I go back, I loop back to your not buying the art for art's sake there is a real strong thrust here in what i what i'm reading that 
that creativity is not just a lovely thing that will make the world better, that will heal, but it actually can impact and affect real change. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think nothing else does. And we've, we've been throttling this particular resource uh, in a way that has been, you know, um, it's been detrimental to, for all of us. And I think when, if, we, if we unleash it, I think the force of, of that imaginative strength that we have as Canadians can transform our world. And we can use that to show the world how Canadian ideas can transform the way other people think. Mind you, this, is already, this sort of thinking is already happening in Australia too, and, and, um, and the UK to a degree. There's a, a movement in Australia to, to reform their arts funding system under similar principles uh, of, yeah. of, of, of wider engagement. So, you know, there is this, as I said at the beginning, there's this movement for change, and there's a movement for humanizing the world. I mean, it's such a, such a silly sounding thing. <laughs> but but that's, that speaks to that sense of genuine hope, and hope not hope that just sits there in a lovely glass case, but hope that is that has been charged with the uh, the opportunity to 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 really build some traction and to and to create action you know and as i mentioned in the introduction the book uh, has has been or is a finalist in the 2023 uh Balsilly prize in public policy which i think if i understand is is will be announced in a couple of weeks time november 28th I'm just I'm I'm really curious to know how the book and its ideas are being received and 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 how they're being activated. Yeah, the 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 take up has been, to my mind, um, very gratifying. I have to say, and, and I wasn't expecting it to be quite this level. I was just absolutely gobsmacked by the Balsilli nomination to be a finalist for that prize. I mean, it's for books on public policy that that will advance the public discussion. Of, of policy. Now, this is what I aimed for. This is what I wrote the book for. I never dreamed it would actually happen in that way. <laughs> um, but there it is. And, you know, I don't, I don't expect it's going to do anything, but it's up against some really good books. I, I, I've read them. I've read all four of the other finalists, and they're good stuff. Um, good. They're all great books on, on policy. So, you know, but I'm going to the awards mm -hmm. because I've you know, got the experience. I yeah. to interact with those people. But there's been a really, I mean, Alex Himmelfarb, who was clerk of the Privy Council for three prime ministers, has talked about how wonderful this book is. Uh, how, now, Alex is very outspoken on his blog about the way we need to refund our economy, our, our government, to really become a, a caring economy. And this plays, this book plays right into that. I mean, if, if you're not about caring, it's not about anything. Um, this book is an element of that. And so Alex, you know, it, it builds right into his arguments that we need to move away from, from the economies of greed and into the caring economy. We have a real chance here to, to make that argument because the arts community, the cultural community has for so many years played into the government's demand for arguments that are economic. When I was on the board of the Canada Council, the, I used to ask politicians and, and, and bureaucrats how to make the case for the arts. They always said, make it about jobs, make it about the economy. It's not just about that. But the, I mean, the arts community does that, but that puts them in the position of beggars, of, of 
uh, implorers for support, and and yeah. government treats them that way. Now, this is this book moves us away from that that litany of begging of of of, of poverty into a uh, an argument of opportunity for uh, social betterment, uh, human flourishing. Again, to quote Anne Bamford, uh, and that's you know, aren't we all looking for that? You do that. You you're working on human flourishing all the time. What what I what activates you? What activates me? The the invitation to widen the curiosity, the the opportunity to to ask. Even in that question, it's the it isn't. Let me just hop on board, but but how how to get engaged in in the conversation? Because as you say, that you know, it, it would be lovely if everybody just said, Max, thank you. This is. This is everything we've been waiting for. We're we're you know, watch for the budget next year. It's going to lead you know into into the next election as our, but of of course that's not the case. People are going to push back. People are. It's going to take time. Uh, so I guess what 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 in, invites me excites me about having you know been introduced to the thinking that at a time when it would be really easy and it is we see it having its impact and and its health impact the negative the pessimistic the nihilistic the it's all going down easier to think that way easier and 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 sadder. Deeply, deeply disheartening, and I guess that that's what that, that that's what charged me so much was the was the opportunity to engage in the what if yes and I I mean I look at the back of the book and it's what might be possible what impact would it have There's your revolution Ooh, open it up You ask about reaction uh, One friend um, bought a whole bunch of copies for members of his board um, He's on an arts board He bought it copies for every member. Somebody else, another friend, has put up the money to send a copy to every member of the federal cabinet. Make yeah. it happen. Um, yeah. We have to get the word out. Uh, I'm not telling everyone, I'm, I, I, it's great if everybody bought the book. I don't, it's not that. It's the ideas that need to get out. And That's they need right. to be seeded from the very beginning. They, they need to be seeded with children, with, with parents, with teachers, with, with your MP, with your MLA, with with your local government, with everybody, with your neighbor, you know, just see them. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Change is always one-on-one. -on -one. You know, the Margaret Mead thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the change, change only comes with a small group. From first, every change comes from a small group. We grow it, we spread it, and it goes word by one by one-on-one. -on -one. Art is one-on-one, -on -one, and change yeah. is one-on-one. -on -one. And we can do it. It can happen. The river, little red book with a big heart. <laughs> well, absolutely, and I will. I will. Uh, uh, I hope this conversation helps to spark some, some not just book sales, because again, as you know, that's not what these conversations are about. It's it's not about the promotion of the product. It is the promotions of the ideas and the uh, and 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 to and to spark others into the conversations when they don't have you and I in front of them, but they can still hold. Uh, you know the, what, what's at stake for them. You know that if I were if I were to to bring this to to a close, you know I started with the elevator pitch here at the end. What's at stake? I think what's at stake is is, is the human future. I really do. Um, we're on a path that suggests some kind of evolutionary regression. You know? uh, we've we've become refined creatures. Uh, in, a, in a sense, I mean, we're coarse in many ways, but 
we have reached a point of refinement that we seem to be wanting to sacrifice or to degrade. And I'm, I think perhaps you might interpret this as a, as a, a plea to stop that degrading and, and to allow the growth that's happened for so many centuries to continue, to allow us to refine ourselves as, as uh, more perfect human beings. More perfect is, a, is ridiculous, but um, uh, that's quoting you know, the US, uh, a more perfect society. Uh, we, if we don't, we really are regressing and we will kill ourselves off in no time. We're heading that way. And I believe that engaging with these ideas will allow us to stop, stand together, and start to think in a reasonable, humane, compassionate, exchanging way about where we go next. Look, I've, I've, I really have, Greg, I've really appreciated this chance to talk with you because you, you've got such a, a, a compassionate understanding of, of the world through your own work. And through your own approaches, and I, okay. I find this kind of exchange really valuable. It, it sharpens my thinking, and it um, makes me think in new ways as well. Thank you for this. Well, thank you, and and you know, I, I I cited the quote from Anne Bamford from London, and she I, the piece I didn't say, but you really just underscored for me, which is while this is a compassionate argument for Canadians. She herself went on to say, this is might have been written for Canadians, but this is for us all. This is for the global community. And it's it's heartening to hear that similar kinds of conversations are happening in other parts of the world. Uh, of course they are. No great idea is happening in a void. And uh, and and so, uh, again, my deep gratitude for uh, not just for you being here, but for for the wealth thinking. And I know you you batted away wisdom as a as a word. I just want to thank you for the gathering of wisdom that you are inviting, of which you are a host to that. That's uh, far more far more acceptable. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> and far more uh, reasonable. I'm I'm not wise, but I do I do I do, as you say, accumulate wisdom from other places and this book does that and uh, thank you for recognizing that there's a lot of there is a lot of good around and we need to activate it yeah your point so thank you yeah thank you The Ellipses Thinking Podcast is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network and is produced by Greg and Jordan Dowler-Coltman. The show's theme music has been generously provided by Jordan Hart. And if you're interested in learning more about the ideas behind Ellipses Thinking, please visit dowlercoltman.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years, their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. 
As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space.